The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. What happens to you if you're accused of a crime? You probably assume that you're innocent until proven guilty. Well, what if you're arrested for this alleged crime? What if you're taken into custody and a trial date is set for weeks in the future for the alleged crime you're accused of committing? Does that mean you're serving time in jail despite there being no trial or conviction? No chance to plead your case? Does that sound more like you're guilty until proven innocent? In the U.S., local jails held approximately 735,000 inmates as recently as 2019. According to the U.S. Department of Justice Bureau of Justice Statistics, about 65% of those inmates were awaiting a court action, while the remaining inmates were either awaiting sentencing or serving an actual sentence. In other words, only 35% of those in jail actually had been convicted of a crime. In many cases, a judge can set bail at an arraignment, the court session in which formal charges are brought against the accused. If the bail can be paid, the accused can leave the jail until their trial date. If the accused cannot pay the bail, they remain in the jail until they have their day in court. Again, citing the Bureau of Justice Statistics, in mid-2019, it was reported that for every 100,000 citizens, there were 224 in jail. Additionally, Black people were incarcerated at a rate three times higher than whites, 600 per 100,000. Furthermore, a study conducted in Miami and Philadelphia published in 2018 in the Quarterly Journal of Economics found that the average bail for Black detainees was over $7,000 higher than white detainees. To discuss these disparities further, I have Chris Jenkins, the producer of the YouTube original documentary, Trapped, Cash Bail in America. This is our daily story, and I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Okay, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Rez. I was really glad to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So for folks who haven't yet seen the documentary, tell us a bit about it. Sure. So um, our documentary is a one-hour look um, at the injustice of cash bail, simple and plain. Uh, as you rightly pointed out in your introduction, 65% um, of people who are in our nation's jails are there only because uh, they have not been able either to afford their bail and they're there pre-trial, meaning they are there before they have even come before a judge to have either their their um, court dates or have uh, their trials. And so they are simply waiting for the disposition of uh, their uh, cases. Um, but our film essentially looks at the disparity of how poor people are generally in jail um, at much higher rates than folks who can afford their bail amounts. Uh, simply because they can't pay. And I just want to be clear here that what we're talking about is people who are generally speaking in jail for nonviolent, um, low-level felonies very often, and sometimes misdemeanors, very often crimes of poverty. Um, and the only reason why they're in jail is because they've been accused of uh, really, really minor offenses, but their bail amounts are so high that they can't afford to walk out of jail and be able to continue with their lives while they fight their case. Mm -hmm. And so what our film tries to explore from both a human dimension and also um, from a uh, more philosophical intellectual dimension is trying to walk 
uh, viewers through uh, what we see as this injustice, unjust system that essentially keeps people in jail and incarcerates them before they've even been found guilty. Right. Um, and part of what we try to do is explore how this came to be, uh, the racial dynamics of this, uh, but also uh, the people who are trying to bring some sense uh, and some justice to uh, the criminal justice system as it relates to the cash bail system. Very good. Very good. Was there like a personal motivation behind this? What was the catalyst for you taking this path and producing this documentary? Right. So, you know, it's interesting. I was um, I was actually doing another film um, about uh, brothers at Rikers Island back in okay. 2017. And I was sitting with uh, a good brother named William Evans um, in the middle of Jackson Projects in the South Bronx, uh, 156th Street in Cortland. And we were sitting there talking about his experience on Rikers. Um, as it turns out, he was accused of a crime um, that, he want, that he did not commit, uh, but he was unable to afford his bail. So he sat at Rikers Island for 11 months uh, fighting his case, unable to afford his $7,500 bail. And, you know, I'm someone who had covered a lot of things over my career as a reporter, as an editor. Um, you know, I consider myself, you know, up on, you know, the latest criminal justice issues as it relates to our people, the whole thing. But when he sat there and told me um, that he had been in jail at Rikers Island for a crime that he knew he didn't commit, but couldn't leave Rikers Island, one of the worst jails in the, in the country, because he couldn't afford a $7,500 bail, it all clicked with me about what the issue and the injustice is around the criminal, the cash bail system. And so we went ahead, um, my, my director and editor, and we uh, sat down and we did our film on Rikers Island about Rikers Island and that came out at the end of 2017. But then we circled back to William and I said, brother, we've got to do something more about not only your life and your experience, but also really explore what I think a lot of people don't quite understand about the bail system. And I think, you know, when you step back and think about it, most people understand like bail, you know, and what bail is um, from, you know, TV shows like Law and Order, right? Sure. They think they know that when someone's given a bail amount, either A, this person has already been found guilty or B, they never really put the two and two together about really what's going on here. And again, what's going on here is, Francis, if you and I are accused of the same crime, um, and let's just say we have similar quote-unquote criminal, criminal histories or we've never been accused of fraud, let's just say that you and I are first-time alleged offenders. Mm -hmm. And we both are accused of the same crime. We both go in front of the judge and the judge says, you know what? I don't think you guys are flight risk. And I don't think that you're dangerous. I don't think that you guys are going to go out and commit a crime while you are out on bail. So I'm going to set your bail at $10,000 for each of you. And if you have money in the bank that can afford that $10,000 bail ranges, you'll go home and you'll be able to continue with your life, fight your case from a position of strength. But if I don't have the same amount of money as you, then I stay. And so right. the distinction between me and you is not dangerousness. It's not whether the judge thinks that we are going to go out and commit another crime. The judge you know, may think, you know what, I, I think these guys are going to come back to jail. So this isn't an issue about they're going to flee, right? right? The issue is between me and you is about how much money we have in our pocket. Right. And that's where the injustice and actual unconstitutionality from our point of view comes along, because okay. what distinguishes me and you is nothing more about the, how much money we have in our pocket. That's it. Right. So 
all the critics who say, oh, wait a minute, you're being soft on crime. Or why are you letting, you know, Ramses go and Jenkins? Well, it's because you have money in your pocket and I don't. And the distinction between those two is what we say are a violation of due process rights, right? The sure. due process of me and you is not being treated equally just because of the amount of money we have in our pocket. And so that's the, the, the when we boil it down to its essence, that is the issue in the injustice of cash bail, is that the only issue that, is, that distinguishes people from other people is the amount of money they have in their pocket. And it's really middle class or wealthy people or distinguished between them and poor people who are indigent and have no money in their pocket. That's the only reason. Because, for example, if you've committed that crime, let's just say, even if in the real world, if you've committed that crime, and even though you're innocent until proven guilty, you can still go home if you have an out of money. So the issue isn't about whether you've committed the crime. The issue is yeah. whether you have money in your pocket. It's not culpability. That's exactly. That's exactly what we're trying to get at with this film. That's where the injustice is. And that's why there are so many people who are finally coming around in this country to understand that there's a distinction between money here that's dividing folks who are able to fight their cases from a position of strength and people who are not. Understood. My guest today is Chris Jenkins, the producer of the YouTube original documentary, Trapped, Cash Bail in America. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-I-N. Well, you know, you mentioned um, a $7,500 bail, which is approximately the amount, the average amount higher that Black people tend to get over white people for committing approximately the same infractions, if you will, um, which is a huge amount, especially if we're dealing with folks who don't have fiscal resources to fight their cases uh, or to bail out of jail even um, before we even get to that point. So um, and then another thing you mentioned criminal history and you mentioned whether or not a person is likely to reoffend. What are perhaps some other factors that might influence the bail amount uh, for a person who's accused of a crime. So let's just start with the first point that you made, that black and brown people are generally given higher bails than white folks who are accused of the same crimes. And they're also very often given bail in situations where white folks are not for the same crime. So there are, so while broadly this is a class and money issue, how we you know criminalize the poor in this country, generally speaking, 
there's another layer, as anybody I'm sure who's listening to uh, your podcast knows, that when you infuse race in it, that's just a false mul- force multiplier, right? And that makes the situation even worse. So we're not only talking about issues of wealth and money and how we criminalize the poor in general, whether it's poor white folks, poor Latino folks, poor Asians, poor Blacks. We're also dealing with an issue of how, generally, generally speaking, our system, of course, you know, criminalizes Black, brown people even more so when they walk in the door. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that is one distinction about who actually, when you look at the statistics, um, you look at people who have studied this, black folks and brown folks are more likely to get higher bails or get bailed all than white folks. Simple and plain. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, as to the other part of your question, um, there are factors that do go into at times, um, either prosecutors or judges um, who prosecutors who, who asked for bail amounts and judges who said based on criminal on previous history of flight risk. Um, and it depends on the crime very often. Um, okay. But in a lot of cases, and a lot of folks, you know, particularly uh, reformers will say, you're not even supposed to do that because let's just take a step back and really take a look at what bail is. Bail simply means release. Bail is simply amount, the amount of money. Uh, actually, it's a bond that you actually give to a person, but bail just simply means a release, right? And it simply means the amount of either money or some kind of security that you give to the court to guarantee that you are going to return the court. That's it. It's not a, it is not um, necessarily um, any kind of admission of guilt or innocence. It is simply a system that tries to guarantee that if someone has been accused of a crime, that they return to court when uh, the next time they can go in front of a judge. That's it. Lateral. Yeah. And, and so, and I think it's important for people to realize that it's simply a process of trying to get people back, come back to court. In the original formulation of bail, there was really no, no um, uh, issue about whether someone was dangerous or whether someone would skip their bail or not leave, uh, not leave the country. That's, that's, that's something that has developed over the years. Uh, but to answer your question, um, it does come down to some of your criminal history, but often it has to do with race, often it has to do with whether you have money in the, in the bank. And that's the, the overall determination of how people are given bails. Because essentially what many states do or many localities do um, is how have bail schedules. So for the, depending upon what your crime is, they will set a scale of how, what your bail should be. So there are some general parameters at times. Sure. Um, that uh, that judges use in order to set bail amounts, but they can also go off script at times and determine, oh, this person has skipped bail before, maybe we should not give them bail. Oh, this person has a higher or more serious charge. Okay, we should give them a higher bail amount. Oh, wait a minute, this person, you know, like we've seen on many, many law and order shows, you know, this person um, has committed a crime where we think or has the means perhaps to leave the country. So we should give that we should not give that person bail. So there are some circumstances where, ju- where judges can make individual independent decisions. But generally speaking, they're supposed to follow uh, bail schedules um, that set an amount of, ma- of money per um, crime um, or the level of the crime in order to give them some direction as to where to go. Does that account for such a huge uh, gap between the average bail amount for white offenders or alleged offenders and black offenders, alleged offenders. Um, And the reason I ask this question is because 
it feels like if there is some sort of guide for um, bail amounts, then we might see perhaps not as, as big of a divide, but such a huge amount of money, over $7,000 on average, feels like there might be the opportunity for perhaps personal biases on behalf of the judges right. or maybe some other factor that I haven't considered. What are your thoughts on that? So um, very often it starts with the prosecutors mm-hmm. um, who are setting bail amounts, um, okay. or, excuse me, who are, who are asking for bail. Asking for bail. Asking for bail. Um, and then it comes to the judges and what they determine uh, they want to do. Um, sure. So you may have seen in our film, um, you know, we, in our uh, chapter four, where we deal with judges and how, what parts they play into the system. Um, you know, we have a situation in Harris County, which is the county around Houston, Texas, where uh, we at, were able to actually get um, footage of bail hearings um, in Houston. Yes. Uh, and there was a young woman, African-American woman, who um, had come up in front of the judge and he was asking her, you know, could she afford an attorney? And she said no, but she was saying it really low. He asked her another question and she was responding, yeah, not yes. And so he got so flustered and irritated with her that because she didn't answer the question the way he wanted her to, he increased her bail amount. Exactly. It went from two thousand to three thousand dollars just on the uh, the notion that this woman did not respond to the judge the way he wanted her to respond. Yeah. Right. And so that's the kind of arbitrariness that we often see in the criminal justice system as it relates to the kinds of power, the kind of power that the judges can wield as it relates to bail amounts. Um, and very often it is because of these factors that your research has shown and that the, the, um, uh, the plenty of um, social scientists have found is that, you know, not only is there an issue of, you know, again, setting bail and getting bail, but also how much bail amounts depending upon the color of your skin. Got it. Now you mentioned the word bond earlier. And my understanding is that if someone has a bail amount that they can't afford, they have the option to seek a bail bond. Explain the for-profit commercial bail bond industry and how that industry makes money. Sure. So the commercial bail bonds industry um, is a $15 billion industry in this country. And by the way, just in case you're uh, listeners want some context. It's only us, United States, and the Philippines that have a commercial bail bond system in the entire world. So just think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Us in the Philippines. Um, but let's just go back to our uh, our example, um, just between me and you. So let's just say that you're able to afford your bail. You can pay the ten thousand dollar bail that we decided that you can afford. I can't, but I can go to a bail bondsman. Um, and a bail bondsman is a licensed um, person, uh, not a criminal justice, uh, not someone who's affiliated really with the criminal justice system, but just someone who's in private practice um, who can who I can pay to bail me out. So if my bail is ten thousand dollars. I'm supposed to pay ten percent of that, or one thousand dollars. If I don't have one thousand dollars in the bank, the bail bondsman will pay that one thousand dollars for me. But then I have to pay him a ten percent fee on top of that um, in order for me to uh, be released from jail. So the, so the profit for him is the amount of money that he charges me in order to pay my bond amount. If I go back and I go through all of my court hearing, let's just say I'm found not guilty, um, I don't get that money that I paid him back. 
he gets his $100,000 back, but I don't get my money back in terms of the money that I paid him. Mm -hmm. So no matter what happens to me, I'm out of 10% of the, the bail amount chart that, that I gave to the bail bondsman. Right. Right. And essentially, you know, that is how over, if you think about the, as many people that are arrested in our country, <laughs> you know, the millions of people that are arrested over the course of a year, that is how the bail bonds industry is able to make its money. They are making money basically for the individual right of someone to be able to be released from jail. So if I don't happen to have the money, I got to pay this guy and that guy makes his little bit of money. I never get my money back, even if I'm found not guilty. That's where the uh, bail bonds uh, industry makes it mo its money. But again, the profits are in the $3 billion range for the entire industry. $3 billion. And, and just to you know, give some context to who bail bondsmen are. There's a stereotype that they're small business owners, right? Who are just these lovable guys who are making money just to track down people or to help people out. On to one degree, that's true, but they are actually backed. These all these bail bonds co companies around the country, the hundreds of bail bonds, thousands of bail bonds companies or, or shops around the country that you see outside of courthouses in every single city and town uh, in the country. They are backed by insurance companies who basically are the ones who are giving them the surety that they will get their money back. And so the insurance companies are making these billions of dollars every year. This are, these are big businesses you know, who are essentially making money off of poor folks with the bail bondsman in the middle, who's also making a little bit of money. But it's the insurance companies that are making the real money. And when we think about, again, big business, we're essentially seeing wealth transfer from the poorest people in the country to the richest people in the country. Wow. Essentially what it is. There's no other way of thinking about it. You know, Ultimately, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, the folks who are trying to bring some justice to the system. But just think about for a second, you know, the perverseness. <laughs> we are one of two countries in the world that have a commercial bail bond system, right? Sure. Not Germany, not France, not England, not China. Not, nobody has a commercial bail bond system since us in the Philippines. We're the only two countries. And so just think about the company we're keeping in these situations. Sure. And it's a perversion of, and we all know that the criminal justice system is, is essentially a money-making machine for localities, for big business. But this is one of the clearest examples where we see that and where, you know, so many people are having, you know, now are, are finding out that there's this, this perverse system that we, you know, need to bring some sort of change to uh, in the coming years. Once again, we have Chris Jenkins with us, the producer of the YouTube original documentary, Trapped, Cash Bail in America. Be sure to check out part two of this interview where we discuss the ways that disproportionately high bail costs impact black families and black communities. We get some insight into the effects that some cities have had upon eliminating the cash bail system. And we learn about some organizations that are helping to reform and address these issues, as well as how we can support them. I am your host, Ramses Ja, and this has been Our Daily Story. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. 
Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.